Hey, welcome to Slashers and Spirits, a horror movie podcast. In this show, Kim and I show some of our favorite horror movies to AJ, who hated the genre until just recently. It's also tradition that we drink heavily throughout this whole process. I'm Aaron. I'm AJ. I'm Kim. I haven't been bragging about it lately, but I haven't written down our intro in quite a while now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Very I got it down now. I got it down now. It only took like 17 episodes or what or something, right? Yeah, um, it's been a few. <laughs> But I got it. I got it down now. I'm proud of myself. Um, it's kind of weird to record this one just a week after our last one. I know. What are we going to talk about? What? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, this is like this is the norm for quite a while. But we had so many like two to three week breaks in a row that it, I was driving home today. Like, oh yeah, it is podcast time already. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's odd. Uh, but it's good to keep it going. Yeah, Go it's ahead. nice to talk to you guys on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what's new what our little updates are i'm a raging lesbian oh raging raging she's on a rampage look out <laughs> <laughs> about button downs i'm cutting my hair tomorrow i'm a new me is that just like mandatory no is this I'm what you're saying really that's extra. the way you're phrasing it <laughs> oh. yes actually somebody's forcing me at will <laughs> it's candy man oh shit <laughs> no i just I'm in a period of self-transformation, so I hit 25 and was like, you know what? Let's change everything. What a vibe. Way to go. I love that for you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, congrats. I also got a promotion today, but we didn't mention What? Why didn't you say any of this? <laughs> we, we watched the whole movie together for it. You never specified this. Uh, we were busy. <laughs> I was really interested in the movie. Um, yeah, I get to run the office now on certain hours of the week and i'm like in charge you are the boss baby now i am the boss baby aaron sent me another boss baby tiktok (laughs) i did last (laughs) night i saw another boss baby tiktok and i was like (gasps) it's funny because i still expect them to be something else (laughs) i know that one was also a late a late boss baby reveal (laughs) that one one got me i was like oh interesting interesting and then i was like fuck it's boss baby (laughs) (laughs) Kim will let me see her TikTok. No. Someday. Never. Okay, listen. The only barrier between me and Kim's TikTok is AJ. If AJ just, <laughs> no. just let it slip a I little bit. I will literally block her. Yeah, the problem I, is... I won't tell her. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll know. Will I you? am scared of Kim. Good. Same. So that's why I haven't done it. Kim also, said some scary shit today. She did. <laughs> and, and last week. I did? What did I do? What did I say? That was scary. <laughs> it's okay. I showed you the new Michael Myers figure that's coming out. Mm-hmm. And I talked yeah. about how it was interesting that the figure came with a baseball bat. And blood weaponry isn't something you typically associate with Michael Myers. Yeah. And Kim's response was, yeah, that's fucking hot. <laughs> I mean,. Is it a lie, though? No. I just state the facts. I mean, I don't know if lie is the right statement here. Like, facts and lies are maybe not the right measurement here. I think it's more, is it honest for you, but maybe scary for everyone else? No, it's hot. That's just a fact. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know is. if you... if your definition of facts there but <laughs> that's what i'm saying i think that maybe she's got a different definition of facts but uh yeah no there's like there's, there's a lot of things we all need therapy for right <laughs> 
Welcome to Slashers and Spirits, a horror movie <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Let's just start over from here. We're, we've gone down a, too deep. This is not good. Uh, let's, let's not dissect each other's individual father issues. No, because I read back too, so we're not going to start down this path. I know. You've read me pretty hard in this podcast. I've been honest. I'm illiterate. <laughs> I'm illiterate. <laughs> Yeah, this is the this is the drunkest episode in a while for me. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I've only had one gin and tonic, but gin just hits different. So I'm feeling it. I went to go get. I'm at my parents' house, and I went to go get dinner from them. And my mom looked at me and was like, "You've been drinking," <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> Damn <you> right. <laughs> <laughs> what are we drinking? I'm drinking gin and tonics. I'm having Hendrix gin to be specific. I'm not oh, going to read the, the tonic because we're not getting sponsored and any tonic is fine to me, but Hendrix is a really good gin. I'm drinking the Cayman Jack margaritas. They come in little, little glass bottles. Ooh. They're nice, but tequila gets me weird. <laughs> Love not, that. Not as weird as Jaeger. Jaeger drunk's a trip. My friend the other night was like, let's take Jaeger shots, and I just refused, because I don't drink dark liquor, um, but it just seemed, like, too much to me. I like Jaeger. A lot of people think it's gross. I dig it, but it, it's, it's, it, it makes you weird. Good to know. Maybe one day I'll drink Jaeger. Probably won't. Let's, let's get weird Jaeger drunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll do it, uh, we'll do it next week. We'll go see Candyman and then get weird Jaeger drunk. <laughs> Kim better be down. To taking Jaeger shots? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are you kidding? Mm. Kim won't stray from her Corona refreshment. <laughs> Big facts. <laughs> Big mood right there. Oh my god. I remember when Kim used to actually get drunk. I've I've seen Kim drink a lot, but I can never tell when I don't know if Kim's capable of emotion. I'm pretty calm. I'm pretty calm. I'm just I'm really giggly and yeah. I'm but I'm very I'm pretty calm. I'm not like a reckless drunk. Like I'm not sloppy, I don't think. One time Kim got really drunk and tried to convince me to take a bath with her. That's not at all what happened. Whoa! <laughs> no. Whoa! No. I wanted to go to a pool, but there was no pool, so the bathtub was big, and I said that we should go turn it into, like, a swimming pool. I wanted to go swimming. She, she admits it! She and admits I wanted it. to go swimming, <laughs> yes, but the context is different than, oh, she wanted to go to the bath with me. No, ma'am, I wanted to go swimming. I wanted Kim to swim. Kim was like, let's hold hands in the bathtub. That is not what I said. And it was more than just you. So let's put some context into this worse. story. There was a third party. And I wanted Shit. to go swimming. I've only seen Kim drunk where I know she's drunk. And like, I won't go into it, but it was like a cursed event. But it was oh, like, I remember the, this. Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the toga party was something I will, oh I will never forget. <laughs> Yeah, Let's feel like was... I'm at a club. That's just, that's different setting. The setting definitely no, I... affects, you know, what kind of a drunk I will be. A hundred percent. Yeah. I just know you were hammered. Like, you were drunk that We night. drank a lot. I, I loved I, I going to clubs did. and drinking, though. That was a really fun I was a curmudgeon at Toga. Era of your life. We did that, like, a month ago. No, we did not. I mean, we went drinking, but it wasn't like clubbing, clubbing. We're like, you know, okay, that's how it used it was to a be. Sunday. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It wasn't like you know going to like a club and 
pre-gaming and then drinking in the Uber and then drinking there and then throwing up and all that stuff. Like, it wasn't, like, that extreme like it used to be. That's fair. I'll never forget we got to that toga party and there was a, a kid that I dormed with, like, in the, on the same floor. And he was hammered. He came up to me and he's like, Aaron, you gotta go go to the bartender and order this, like, special drink. Like, go order, I forget the name of it. He's like, go order this, this specifically. And I'm like, okay, sure, sure. So I go and I order it and I come back. And I'm like, oh, where'd he go? And his girlfriend's like, oh, he's throwing up in the bathroom. (laughs) Just like projectile vomiting in the bathroom. And I was like, great, glad I got what he was drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's hella relieved. Good times. We love college. We're pushing three years on that. (sighs) Don't. (laughs) Don't make me feel that old. When I turned uh, freaking, I turned 24 a couple weeks ago. I know. I'm 25. My dad was like, dude, you're 30. And I was like, what the (laughs) fuck, man? (laughs) Like, what the hell? That is not how that works. Yeah. I did have to convince my best friend. She tried to say that 24 was still early 20s, and we had to have a very it is. conversation about it how is. it's mid-20s. What it is, yeah. 24 to 26 is mid-20s. No, it's 25 is 20s. mid-20s. No. Really? You both think this? Yes. Yes. You're both wrong. No, you're still early 20s and 24. You're mid-20s and 25, 26 yes. about. And then you have to Just start saying late years? at 27. Okay, I don't even know what Kim's Life is fleeting! Because <laughs> it's true. Kim's 25. Like, there's no point in her arguing for 24-year-olds right now. I mean, We're all gonna die! I mean, it's true, though. 24 is not mid-20s. I so disagree, but that's fine. You're outvoted. Democracy. I don't care. I don't believe in democracy. Oh. I... Okay. <laughs> We're getting hot takes. Uh, Shit. <laughs> I don't know if I stand by that a thousand percent, but I think I do at least fifty percent. Oh, that's still half. That's <laughs> still yeah. concerning. But okay. <laughs> the the Have guy you that met the general public. The guy that directed Candyman 2 directed Breaking Dawn 1 and 2. Yeah, right? Bill Condon. So we're gonna watch Twilight. No. That's what I'm hearing. See, See how quick I moved topics? That was good. <laughs> that was great. Um, I, for some reason, talking about Twilight reminded me that gin and tonics is what I used to drink in, when we would drink together in college. And I just had a flashback to the fact that that's I used to cut, fill a mug with gin and then just get trashed with you guys. You graduated a semester before me, right? That's, yeah. That's, so you came back like maybe a month into that that next semester. Yes. And Molly was at work, but I still went into like her dorm to to see you. And you convinced me to drink gin and tonic with you <laughs> pretty heavily at around eleven mm, thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I went to my, I think it was a um an internet design class <laughs> at like twelve thirty. Pretty fucking drunk because of you. <laughs> There was this period of time, which I'm not going to say is over, but in which me and Aaron get together and we just get plastered. Well, I this was never the intention. I We always drank together, but you told me maybe after our like 12th time drinking together, I always try to go drink for drink with you. I try to compete with yeah. you. And I'm like, oh shit, I never realized this was a competition. And then since then, it's been one, a competition. It's for 
for sure a competition. And I would still argue that I win every time because you switch to beer and beer does not count nearly as intensely. No, as I drink like 9% beers though. It's not the same as vodka. A shot of vodka is the same as like a 5% beer. Okay, and I drink two and a half shots of vodka in a drink probably. We have to. We're gonna have to measure it out. Okay. That's what's gonna we'll happen. Start we're gonna, my we're drink. gonna have to have like, yeah. We're gonna need to make sure we go drink for drink next weekend. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> hey, as long as it's. Uh, I'm assuming we're doing this on a Friday or Saturday, right? Oh, it's like, got to be Friday because I have to work early Sunday mornings. Okay, sounds good. So we'll do Friday. Um, Can okay, be good yeah, for we'll Friday. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, but I'm not doing that. I'm not going shot for shot. You guys are gonna count no, me out. No, you're not gonna drink nearly as much as we do because that's what you do every podcast yeah i'm not doing that but yes no you gotta get hammered with us for one podcast though we'll see (laughs) i know at the end of the day i'm just happy kim agrees to be here (laughs) (laughs) she's Um, our celebrity guest every week sure (laughs) (laughs) famous for nothing but okay Hey, at least we got we got our we got her roped in for next week at least. So. <laughs> yep. I would say um, you're famous for spite and being attracted to killers. For spite? <laughs> I love that though. I you, you love would. that? Yeah. I, I think you you're that's famous for your spite. <laughs> when I think Kim, I think spite. <laughs> that's that's not that's not a compliment. Alright. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna pee. That's what I'm gonna do. We're oh uh, 15 minutes. Into this podcast, <laughs> I'm gonna pee. Oh, okay, while you do that, uh, I'm gonna get my food real quick. This is perfect timing, actually. Wow, you you can just say you have to pee too. No, like my food literally the door just opened, so I'm gonna go get it. Real okay, quick. S- same. I'm, I'm gonna go gonna get my food here. right now. <laughs> Molly, I'm so tempted to make this about me right now, and that's how you know that I'm drunk. Because I just wanted to be like, "Hello, welcome to AJ's podcast, where we talk about." social issues and why women are really hot so use that clip however you would like it's a present for you because you're my favorite and i'm okay with them knowing that the whole world can know that actually um i talked to molly by myself okay all right so we can pick up from here sorry we never asked what kim was drinking but i just assumed it was corona (laughs) oh kim what are you drinking my wine (gasps) <gasps> oh! <laughs> Damn! <laughs> I'm sorry, Molly. I just saw my sound wave just like fucking touch the topic. No, I'm drinking wine. Okay, AJ. Yes. Has she ever told us the full name of this wine? I feel like she has. No, she always says it's Target brand, even though it's not Target brand, and she can only find it at Target. But she can only. But she used to find it at Vons, I believe. Can you please let us know what the type of wine is so so AJ and I can also drink it? We can all be drinking the same wine. <gasps> That'd be cute. It literally is called Riscato. Like, it's literally, like, on the label. It's Riscato, and it's um has a little star on it. It says Italia. Um, it's, a, it's a sweet red. So, like, all that's on the label is the star. The word riscato, and then underneath it, it just says sweet red. So when I say riscato, that's literally like the label. It's literally what it's called. Okay, so you have been honest with us. Yeah, no, there's no like name, like you know, Winking Owl. That's like an Aldi brand uh, wine, but there's no like like name name for it. It's just called riscato. It's like a dessert um, wine, but it's really, really fucking good. Should have done it for her birthday. Mm. 
Uh, so last week we watched Lost Boys. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I apologize. We're hitting the 20 minute point here, and Molly's gonna fucking kill us. No, all you're right. Us. You're right. You're right. No, you're right. It was just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad last time I had to like rush us kind of at the end. But, but I saw we were hitting like uh like the two hour I still think we hit two hours and fifteen minutes. Oh, but a God. lot but a lot of it could go. And it's just trying to keep these like a humane length. <laughs> <laughs> Molly has um, rights too. Yes, she does. Um, um Lost Boys was good. I haven't, I mean, do I ever think about them after? I was going to say, I don't think you've ever been like, yeah, you know, in hindsight. <laughs> Except, like, Midsummer, I thought about a lot afterwards, but, like, that's because it was traumatizing. Um, I don't think, yeah, it was good. I liked it. I was, um, I was telling some coworkers that I watched Lost Boys and I explained that it was, like, a vampire movie. And then I had to explain that it's, it's kind of like a sexy vampire movie, and they're like like Twilight. And I was yes, like, uh, kinda. I I don't know too much about Twilight, but that's what my friends were saying. And they were like, ah, so you you don't watch Twilight, but your friends are fans. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, all right, tell them something about like B- Bella, what's up, Loca, or something like oh that. My God. Yes, like, yeah, I know exactly what they're talking about. I'm glad because that's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, New Moon is trash. Both. But Breaking Dawn 1 and 2 were directed by Candyman 2 director. Which, Breaking Dawn 1, when we last watched Twilight, we skipped almost all of it. Because it's disgusting. Um, But Breaking Dawn 2 is a wild time. So what we thought of Lost Boys was... That Twilight is better. No, no, God, no! Don't, don't, Molly, delete that shit. Delete that nonsense. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I have a bone to pick with Kim. With me? Yeah. All right, bring it on. What is it? Okay. Um, they live was edited. <laughs> um, okay. Um, and there was a point where you were saying that the movie tries to have a message, but it doesn't go far enough. And I had said, "Well, it's like the '80s. How much of a message do you really want from it?" And you were like, ah, that's no excuse. But last week, we did Lost Boys. AJ was like, this movie's not gay enough. And you were like, ah, it's the 80s. What do you expect from it? So we were both, we both had the same thing here. I think, I think there was more ground to be made there with They Live. I mean, I guess we both make excuses for the time period, 100%. But I, it, it, I mean, with the gay movie, quote unquote, you know, for us, for me, when I hear gay movie, but it's in the 80s, I kind of, you know, I set my expectations pretty much to what usually comes out from that sort of era or what's expected. I guess for They Live, I haven't watched a lot of movies in that time period that tries to go in this direction. I compared it to like oh. this movie, which is the 90s, which even then isn't that far off. I, th- I think you're making my point for me here. Mm, no. Mm, not I'm getting to it. I'm getting mm. to it. This movie <laughs> in 92, which wasn't that far off from it, so we could say it's still within the same level. I mean, the 90s and the 80s, there's not really, there's going to be a decade in between, but remind me, when did They Live come out? 80 what? 88. 88. 88. So that's not that far off from 92, which is when this movie comes out. I think because there's such a small distance between the two, like, let's be honest, this movie does not hide around any of the commentary that it's talking about. And I think this movie just does it in a better way artistically 
than six. the other one did. And there's not much of a difference. Like, if this I, was early could, 80s... You're not compared. You could say a movie from um, uh, uh, four years after The Lost Boys is gayer, and therefore it invalidates Lost Boys. That, that's, that's, not, that's not fair. Okay, but is there... I'm certain <laughs> that that over the course of four years, there was a gayer movie that released. When was Nightmare on Elm Street I'm just saying, three out? Two, oh, two. Two's the gay. Two's one. the gay one. <laughs> when was that one out? Because that one was gay, but not explicitly gay either. Eighty four. That one is also read between the lines gay. So I would say Nightmare's gayer than Lost Boys. I mean, I don't know if it's gayer than Lost Boys. And it was earlier. <laughs> it's not gayer than Lost Boys. That towel scene was don't... pretty gay, but. <laughs> There's literally a scene in that movie where it's like, okay, so you're, um, you needed to come for a place for safety and you didn't go to your girlfriend's. You came to my bedroom. It's like a line that but his best friend says like, to him. But it's still not like canonically gay. Like there's still, it, it is still like read between the lines sort of a situation. Night, no, Nightmare's about coming out and the director's like, I can't believe they let me get away with it. <laughs> So I guess I will I will concede to you that yes we both make the same excuses for like that's the all, era. That's I, that's I'm, all I'm I saying. Still said I'm not, that. I'm not making said, any. Like, uh uh-uh, I still said, and we can go back to it. I still said yes for the time period. Yeah, I guess it was progressive for it, but I just don't no, think you it did it well like this movie did in comparison. So I did I'm say saying, it at some point. I'm, I'm I just, just I'm just saying we're not so different, you and I. <laughs> I mean, we have similar opinions on certain things, so I'm, I'm not surprised that you know. We would have similar, I guess, conclusions to movies that we really like and defending those movies. But I still stand by that movie and my dislike for it. But I still think this movie hits better. That hasn't been released yet. And when it releases, it's going to be called They Live, Aaron Dies. (laughs) (laughs) He dies inside. During that argument, I googled when Will and Grace was premiered and when the Ellen show when Ellen came out came out so that I could tell you guys what was actually gay because you guys promised me a gay film and that shit wasn't gay enough. We said that it was it was somewhat gay, but it's not like a gay movie. Like it's not an LGBT plus movie. Like that's okay. not But I had no context and all you guys said was that it was very gay. I would stand by that it is. I agree. I would as well. I also think it's pretty gay. <laughs> we really should start talking about Candyman. <laughs> Candyman, Candyman. We're even well, talking about Kim's. Don't say it more than fucking five oh, times. Yeah. Hey Fuck, now. Jesus. I'm not looking in the mirror and I didn't turn the lights off. Mm. My eyes are shut and I'm pretending I'm somewhere else. No one can hear me but me and the Grudge Woman. Yeah, the Grudge Woman's got my back. Um, This week we watched Candyman. Basically, we would have watched Candyman eventually anyway, but. The reason we're watching it this time is so we can see Candyman 2021 in theaters next week and then do an episode on that. Um, But Kim and I are both like, we're not even technically counting this as like my week or Kim's week. Like the next two weeks are just Candyman weeks and then we'll go back to my turn after Kim's Lost Boys. (laughs) So this is this is on both of us. No one's really in charge of this one. Can I go? Yeah. Okay, we watched Candyman because of its wonderful social commentary and the fact that it is an incredible horror film. Oh, so you're a big fan. We didn't really hear your opinion after this mm-hmm. one. I kept it on purpose. I was waiting. Mm, so you're a big fan. I really liked this movie. Oh, that's good. It's got all the things I like. 
I don't know what <laughs> I started saying that and then I just lost whatever the fuck I was gonna say. <laughs> it wasn't that scary and it was relatively short. <laughs> yeah, there we go, there we go. Um, it's got social commentary, which uh-huh. I love. Um it's got an interesting villain. Um it's got some interesting gore, but not like too much. Hmm. And I think the thing I really like about it is the way that it is like doubly horrifying. Like there's this person that kills people, which is horrifying. But then there's this whole layer about the fact that she's getting blamed for these murders and having her own life fall apart because of him. What movie did we watch that was similar to this in that theme recently? It's escaping me that there was another movie where it was like anytime someone was dead, it looked like our main character. Oh, yeah. Someone. Am I thinking of, oh, here we oh. go. Here's a Harry Potter connection. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. There you go. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> oh, my and God. I cannot believe I was you thinking, just made that. Um, oh, so you're, allowed, you're allowed to talk about Twilight for 10 minutes? And I, I did not bring mention... that up. You brought that up. And so did AJ. You know I did not bring up Twilight. <laughs> I will never say I won't bring up Twilight. Um, I was also thinking of well, it kind of happens in Nightmare when um the boyfriend gets blamed. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in this movie the the theme is a little bit more intense. Absolutely. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of this movie. I forgot how it's interesting that you said that it was gory, but not too gory. This movie was ten times gory. Oh, what I was thinking of was uh, Child's Play. Okay, there. Okay. Mm, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Also, that podcast is called Kim's Friend to the End, and I'm proud of that one. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> um, yeah, that kind of had a similar thing. Wherever someone died, it looked like it was um, Andy that had done the kills. Um, I, I, it's funny that you said that you didn't think it was too gory, because this movie was way gorier than I remember it being. And it was it was a plus. Like, it wasn't uh, upsetting at all. I just remember this movie being really tame, and it's really not. Um, it's pretty brutal at points, but yeah. it doesn't do it so often that it it, it doesn't I, I think this movie's very well paced um and i this is like my third time seeing Candyman, and i i really enjoy it more and more each time i see it um what about you kim i really like this movie i don't quite remember when i saw this movie for the first time i don't think i was young i think i was older um and actually funny i had seen um i know what you did last summer before this movie so the whole like uh-huh. person with the hook to me, I was like, oh my god, that's like yeah. been done. It's redundant. But then seeing the dates and obviously noting that this is obviously a 90s movie, whereas I believe, I know you, what you did last summer is a 2000s movie, um, this movie does precede it. So I, I credit is to it this 2000s? movie. It looks 2000s. I really hope no, it is because it looks I think 2000s. It's, I, I, I think it's it's Scream adjacent, so it's probably 97. to mid-90s. Really? Yeah, yeah. How... Okay, that makes me hate that movie more because they just took and, that hook thing and just ran with oh, it, yeah. and that, that's kind of that kind of pisses me off because they're well, so close to date. I know what you did last summer isn't good. <laughs> it's no, we talked about this. It's not good. I just no. I saw that one first and I was like, oh my god, how interesting. And then I saw this movie and I was like, uh, copycats. But no, I really do like this movie. I think it is one of those movies that's not necessarily scary in the traditional sense it has some good scares i'm not going to take that away from it there's some scenes that i find to be like really really great um but more so i think there's a lot of development in the movie there's a lot of complexity in the movie and i of course always love when we have movies horror movies specifically despite its era no matter if it's modern or past that puts 
black or POC characters in the forefront of the story. Mm-hmm. And so that is one of the biggest takeaways that I remember really I got from this movie when I first saw it and the reason why I always recommended the people because it is one of the first movies that I saw where black characters weren't just background characters or nameless characters per se. Um, and I, I really liked that there was a bigger ratio of POCs in this movie to white people, which is more traditional. And that was just, I always tend to kind of gravitate more towards movies that do this just because I feel no matter the time period, it's it, it's great for diversity, but it's also just great for me anyway to see a bit more connect connectivity of myself to other people or people in similar communities to mine on screen. Um, so I really, really like this movie for that reason. And it's kind of why I remember it more so than a lot of other horror movies. It also has its main killer it has its main killer be sympathetic as well yeah um kind do you of think like so jason Voorhees. yeah i mean he uh he's a he's a victim in in many ways um i think you know clearly i'm not supporting you know the Murder. castration of an eight-year-old but um crazy can't believe that take yeah that was that was yeah you know i i am not afraid to admit it i'm against <laughs> uh castration but um no, I think I, I think there is. It's kind of like a, a little bit of uh, Jason Voorhees in it too, you know. I kind of um, disagree with I, that, but I I think I'm being I, and I'll get to it because I have a whole section for that that I've always oh liked about this movie. But there's like a duality that I also like question, and part of that is exactly what you said: his sympathy, or in my opinion, the lack of sympathy. I also feel like tragedy. this movie. This movie is also romantic in some ways. And I yeah. can say that without it being a hot take because they cut a whole like kiss and romance scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a Phantom of the Opera, which I think is also reflected in a lot of like the music. Um, or I don't know, I get visions of like Creature of the Black Lagoon type stuff mm-hmm. where it's like the monster holding um, the, the romantic damsel. interest, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, except I think I think the lead in Candyman is, is anything but a damsel. Yeah. Uh, I agree, but, but I think yeah, we're we're in different. We'll, we'll go into that because I I want to see your take on what you mean by that because I agree, but we'll get to it. There's I I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of influence in this movie too at the same time while being very original at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I guess there is like there's a bit of Krugerness to this as well. Like I I think there's hints of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, we should probably. Start. attack this a bit more organized i did want to say by the way just real quick that and this is disgusting him but i know what you did last summer came out the following year after scream really oh a my year god after they it's tried blatant, too hard and they failed too hard it's a blatant shitty ripoff and i will i'll die by that but oh, it's perfect. weird i don't dislike i know what you did last summer but it's a piece of shit it's like We'll have to see it at some point. We'll have to show AJ. And I think AJ would probably like it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just show okay. it for a few minutes. I would and AJ try not like to be it. offended by that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's not. I'm saying I like it too. Okay. Um, I don't think you're going to be like, that was high art. Like, I think you're going to also be like, <laughs> yeah. that was shitty, but I had a fun time. Um, It's got that like 90s. T- I can see why you thought it was a 2000s movie. It's got that. It, it's the closest horror movie to a disney channel original movie <laughs> no yeah 100 percent. it has, it has that kind of love. 2000s vibe to me but it is so close to 2000 so 
Okay, so Candyman? Should we go over, Candyman? like, the generic um, overview? I said Candyman? Tw- uh, this is your third time. Okay. Be careful. I was going to sing the song again. <laughs> um, like, the director, the cast, etc., before we start jumping into plot? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Do you want to go, Aaron? No, you go ahead. Um, Let's just name, like, Tony Todd and then the, the our leads, you know? Well, I guess that's kind of it. There's not a lot of characters in this movie. I was going to include two more after that, but yeah, it was just Go four. So we already talked about The Candyman was um, made or released in 1992. It was directed by Bernard Rose. The music, which I'm pointing out because the music in this movie slaps hard, um, was done by Philip Glass. Um, so quick overview of the characters and then who they were played by. Um, the character Candyman was played beautifully by Tony Todd beautifully um the character of helen lyle was played by virginia Matson. Anne marie mccoy was played by vanessa estelle and bernadette was played by cassie lemons i'm hoping i pronounced her last name correctly um but those are the main main characters that i feel like we're not only going to talk about once but they will be recurring characters or important characters yeah i think this movie would be almost two letter grades lower without Tony Todd. Mm, Tony Todd, that man, oh my god. Incredible, incredible job. Uh, actively known as just one of the kindest people as well. Not to say his voice, 10 out of 10. Honestly, this I think when we talk about famous characters and legendary characters, not just in horror, but like in general, I think a lot of testament has to go to the actor who plays this character and who does the character so well. Like, when we look at Pennywise or, you know, um, uh, not Jason, what is his name? Freddy Krueger, for example. How actors really have to put themselves into a persona to really bring that character to life and do it well. I think Tony Todd is in that particular category who does a really good job of giving this sort of frightening but also enticing character. And I think they did amazing casting. Tony Todd has a horror career outside of Candyman that's pretty prolific as well. Yeah, he's done some cameos. I believe in Final Destination, he made like a cameo at one point. Love it. Oh, I've in, seen that one. I think he's in most of them and he plays Death, right? Yeah, he plays Death. Like, yeah, an allusion yeah. to Death. Yeah, I, I love it. Incredible. Daunting figure. He's like 6'5". That's all I'm going to put out there. He is 6'5". Wow. I, I, feel, I feel attacked. <laughs> We gotta know the also, also, Kim's shorter than me, <laughs> which is like mm-hmm. another thing. I think Six you five. can tell by who's the short people by how often they talk about being short. I'm the tallest. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, we can get started on the plot now. I just wanted to highlight. You know, the important characters and the amazing actors who did a really great job in this movie. Yeah. I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. Oh, uh, no, wait. No, what what was her name? Um, Stacy. When she's, she looks like she's smiling in that pink ass kitchen. Yeah. Instead of crying. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't great. No. Anyway. <laughs> do, do you want to start, Kim? Do you want me to? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I don't think I've ever started it. Um, That's not true. You start all the time. No, you set the scene uh, really well. You you started mostly. Yeah, I? I usually take it midway to like close to the ending. Hmm. 
And I just sit here. <laughs> yeah, because I always take a bit to get started. That's why I prefer when you start. But I'll, I'll start. That's yeah, fine. I will I'll prefer start. that. Oh, AJ starts. Oh, shit. Now I got to remember the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so let me look at my notes real fast. I don't think they were detailed enough. Yeah, my first note says Kim would talk about murder as dirty talk. Oh. Mm-hmm. Ted Raimi. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> so it starts the scene and there's this woman talking and she says, like, um, it's a true story. And it's all about how this woman in Indiana, she was babysitting and, like, says her name. I don't remember what her name was. It's She's important. babysitting. And then Billy showed up. And she wasn't dating Billy, but Billy showed up. And she thought she kind of had the hots for him, though. So she decided to give him what she never gave her boyfriend. And so they start, like, making out and stuff. And then she brings him up to the mirror and is like, you got to say Candyman five times and like tells him this story. And this is why I said that Kim would use dirty talk because we all were like, this is a weird thing to do in the middle of making out with someone. We both said it at the same time. <laughs> we're like, Kim would do that. Um, yeah. And then he leaves. She's like, go wait downstairs for me. And he had said it like four times. And then she says it the fifth time. And then she gets murdered because Candyman comes through the mirror and kills her and then kills the little kid too and then billy gets away but he goes crazy and so it's like this whole story that this woman is telling helen um because helen's writing a thesis about it and writing a thesis about Candyman specifically and so you like see her record and then um she like ends the session and then walks with the girl leaves and then she's you meet bernadette and they chat for a little while and then Helen's recording again or like typing up her recordings and this um, woman comes in to clean the room and she hears what the recording says and she's like oh are you talking about Candyman and she's like yeah she's like do you know anything about him and she's like no but my friend does my friend lives what's that building called Cabrini Green Housing Project yes and so she lives there and um, she knows all about it And so the woman goes to get her friend. The friend comes in and tells her the story, which lets Helen connect. I'm going really fast. (laughs) But I feel like this is all just like building up, Um, which makes Helen realize that her building was actually a project. And they're like starting to decode the story. Oh, she hears a story about how this woman was killed in her bathroom. Um, Anna Marie was killed in her bathroom and her baby was killed. And that he, like, came through the wall. And so Helen, like, comes home and realizes that her buildings used to be project housing. And then they got, like, repainted and, like, upgraded. But that um, when you take off the mirror and the medicine cabinet, you just, there's, like, nothing separating you from the other side. That there's just another medicine cabinet. And um, so she's kind of, like, assuming that that's how this man got in. Um, and that it's not, like, some mystical creature, but, like, just, like, a man that came in and murdered this woman. And that's, like, the first time, I think, the political comment. That's not political. We talked about it's not political. But anything of any kind of economical inequality or race inequality now in 2021 is a political issue. So I always need to say mm-hmm. political issue, which is unfortunate. So it's hard not to, it's hard to break that habit. So <laughs> forgive me. Um, but when they talk, when they discuss that Helen's building also was a project, but it very clearly 
had more like worth so it was upgraded and is now a very expensive apartment and it's like actively more fortunate people taking away mm-hmm. um housing that was meant to better people you know it was it was meant for and i think the reasoning was for like because of the view or something that like it had a really nice view yeah. or that it was in a nice area which is also like even furthering that kind of commentary because it's like oh it's too nice of an area for underprivileged people to live in like that's not fair either like they deserve a nice place to live and this is all based upon like the actual projects like the like very real place mm-hmm. and when they went to film at the project that they like shortly after they made the revelation about the two buildings having similar layouts and they could probably remove the medicine cabinet and see how um was it was it emory yeah emory was killed they go to oh that's right Mm -hmm. no i think no kim's right who's anne-marie then anne-marie comes comes later Okay. Oh, okay. This is Ruthie Jean. I was confused at the credits when it said that. Yeah, she doesn't um, have a child. Ruthie Jean is just a resident um, okay. in the housing project. And it was a rumor that she was killed by Candyman. Um, in so much that no one ever really found the murderers. And when they called the police about it, no one showed up. So there wasn't really much of an investigation. But by the means that she was killed, it was a rumor to have been Candyman. But with the, these housing projects being a re- very real place, when they went to film this movie, they went to on location, and there were multiple gangs on location, and they actively had to pay them off to allow them to film there. And I think they only filmed there for a couple of days, and they uh, they found several bullet holes like in their trucks that they were using to camp to uh, transport cameras and whatnot, and their generator had been shot one night. Wow. Um, so like it's an incredibly dangerous place not just fictionally as they describe it when they go there in the movie but at that time it it was just as dangerous and um it's actually funny because when they first pull up and you see the gang members out on the porch those are real gang members they they use them to 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 film those scenes wow and it's just it's some um, some reality in this movie that's unsettling interesting and then once they enter the building and there's the set with um the sweets what is it sweets for sweets or sweets sweets to the sweets sweets to the sweets with that graffiti that's a sound that's a sound stage because they immediately left that location as quick as they could mm-hmm. that's pretty pretty interesting yeah they did some on location but most of it was off i remember reading something about that um, but yeah. I didn't look into Cabrini Green itself. Um, yeah. I haven't seen what it looks like. I mean, obviously we saw it in the movie, but, you know, afterwards I haven't really looked into it. And it, it does t- take place in Chicago, just from where um, yeah. context, the setting is in Chicago and these actual project housing projects do exist in Chicago. They're currently gone. Oh, really? Uh, I, don't know what year they were, I don't know what year they were demolished, but they are no longer standing. Um. So to follow the plot along... Um, after they discover that about the medicine cabinets, they decide to go to the actual location and... Did you do uh, what Helen Bernadette did in the bathroom? I think we're... Did we, did we cover that, that though? Cause that's, no, that's that came before that. In the bathroom in their apartment? Yes. In, like, when in they Helen's said apartment? Candyman's yeah, name. Yeah. You covered that, right? 
Yeah, that they that that she's able to pull the no, no, medicine no. cabinet out of that her. That they world. looked into the mirror and they said Candyman's name oh, because they didn't believe that it was an actual shit. thing. Yeah, no, that's very important. Yeah, that comes before this. Yeah, good looking out. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a, that's a really important part of the movie. It's only <laughs> yes, no, it is. It is making sure that it we is, have it. It is arguably the the driving conflict of the film for yeah. <laughs> from that point on. No, I forgot about that happening. So. <laughs> This is why I don't do the plot recaps. <laughs> I, I think it's because Helen lasts so long after she says it, and everyone else is dead almost instantly. Well, that yeah. was the that, whole that point, you... right? It was the whole point of the yeah. setup, is that she doesn't believe... I mean, to this... Did you cover that she's doing a thesis? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That we did. So for her thesis, I mean, at the end of the day, she is doing research about it, so she doesn't really put much stock into the story itself. It's more so her husband is a... Um, a professor and so it, it kind of implies that she is writing a thesis um in an academic setting about urban legends he teaches urban legends and she's writing a paper on it hoping for it to get published so she doesn't really put much stock into the legend itself because to her it's just it's more of a of a social situation versus mm-hmm, it actually yeah. being something real to be so she of. does you know what they say not to do which is to repeat Candyman's name um, five times five in times. the mirror, and she does it with her friend Helen. Um, I'm sorry, she does it with her uh, friend Bernadette, Bernadette in her bathroom. Bernadette. Except Bernadette does not say it for the last time. She Helen does say it. Yeah, she says it five times. Bernadette chickened out, as her friend says, and did not say it the last time. But there's a sort of build up in that moment where you're kind of expecting something to happen with the music, and nothing happens. No one appears, nothing spooky. They kind of just go on with the rest of their day, and it shifts to a different um, setting after that. How long do you think you have after? Like, how long do you think Bernadette had after that fourth one? Do you think if she said Candyman six hours later, she'd be screwed? Or, like, when does this reset? That's what I always wonder with name things like that. Like, if I just say it in general, like, in my life, if I say Candyman five times, I'm at four. I think you have, like, an hour, like, a good hour to say it again if you, like... Before, so he'll show up and kill me? I think it'll reset in an hour. You know, okay. If you say it four times and you wait an hour, you can say it again. I think it's all um, dependent. I also feel like this Helen Bernadette situation would be like, Kim would be Helen and I would be Bernadette and I would be too afraid to say the last one. But Kim would be like, nah, this shit's bullshit and say it. Facts. It's like yeah. Bloody Mary. You know, we all kind of played that game in the bathroom no. when we were younger. And Never. it's that same sort of like situation where people... The re- the reputation of it precedes, you know, the story itself, and so I think a lot of people tended to play that game when we were younger, the Bloody Mary game, and you know, nothing actually ever happened, but there were so many stories uh, about things that did, quote unquote, did happen, and I think it's the same sort of situation, the same skepticalness that we all took Bloody Mary when we were younger. It's the same approach that Helen is taking with this, that it's not really real. And so she does it. Nothing happens. She's very, you know, she's in disbelief, I guess, about it. Which, to be fair, like I said, I played that game when I was younger and nothing happened. So um, I don't think AJ's ever said Bloody Mary. No. There's no way she crossed that line. (laughs) Well, most most people I know did. So I have, yes. Yeah. I would never. Same with, I like, you know, the Ouija post. board, anything like that where people have done but yeah, nothing see? actually yeah. happens. It's it's the same sort of concept and the same sort of skeptical nature that we're kind of introduced to be Helen's character. I have a belief that I believe in everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> 
Just so I don't cross any lines about what could be true. <laughs> Trying to respect all the boundaries of all the myths. <laughs> Interesting. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> Except you try to send them all my way. The grudge woman says hi, by the way. <laughs> I'm shall glad we... you guys are getting along. <laughs> shall we continue on? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay. Do you want to continue, AJ? Yeah, no, I'm cool. Continue. <laughs> I don't. Okay. Let's switch. Yeah, let's switch. Okay. Narrators here. You, you go ahead, Kim. All right. So I'll just reiterate again, I guess, um, where we're at. Helen and Bernadette are now actually at um, Cabrini Green, uh, intro- looking into the legend, they go. Th- it's a where they go through the mirror. I believe already they they go into like the apartment where apparently things happened. Um, they see like the is this the part where they see the the graffiti for the first time? Yeah. Well, you t- you talking about the Candyman? Yeah, right? where they where they're walking yeah. through it and they're looking at you know sort of obviously what the building looks like and trying to find clues and reshape. Um, retracing the steps of the story that they heard about Ruthie Jean. And they go through her mirror just as the same way Helen's mirror in the bathroom leads to another apartment, so does um, Ruthie Jean's. And so through there, she walks, enters the other side of the mirror, and she finds a sort of mural that was painted. Um, It's very dark and empty and dusty, by the way. I don't know where she's so brave to do that shit, but she does. And it's a painting of what Candyman looks like. And it's just a face with a wide mouth. Um, nothing super hyper-specific, but you do see his face. And she takes photos of them. And she's kind of, you know, staring at it. And it's this very strange moment where we zoom into the eyes for a bit. And back to her face as she takes a photo. Um, the music continues to kick ass during all of that. Like, oh yeah! As soon as she she goes through, because the the mouth is the backside of the the medicine cabinet, so she crawls through a medicine cabinet and emerges out of like Tony Todd's mouth, essentially. And the music kicks in there. God, it's just perfect. And there's like offerings that were kind of left there as well, so it shows that people have visited, but also there is a sort of belief in this as well that people are. It's respected. Oh. There was a candy with a razor blade in it. Yes. Yeah. And I spent a solid amount of time thinking about how, like, that was always warned in Halloween. That there was going to be candy with razor blades in it. And, like, how realistic is that actual experience? There, there is no recorded, there's no record of that ever happening, as far as I'm aware. Oh. The last time I checked was, like, three years ago. So, unless we had a fucked up past two years. Uh, as far as I know, that is a complete myth, and there is no record of any kid having razor blades in their candy. I mean, it seems like it would be super... There's some pictures on the internet. Um, 2019, two people in Ohio found razor blades in their can- Halloween candy. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyways, it's just... That's all I was wondering during that scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, jumping back in. So afterwards, when they when Bernadette comes to get Helen... To see the scene, she's obviously freaked out. They go back. Um, they meet Ruthie Jean's neighbor, Anne-Marie McCoy. She's a single mother, and she has a baby boy named Anthony. Loves that baby to pieces. It's a very beautiful scene. And she does relate. She retells to them um, what happened, or what she heard the night of Ruthie Jean's passing. Or murder, I should say. And this is where we get more sort of contextualization in the fact that there was noise, they heard something, she called 911, they never showed up. Or if they showed up, they didn't do an investigation. Um, which seems to be the usual 
for this particular place um, that neighbors would call and like no one showed up to investigate until it was too yeah. late and they found her body. Um, so that's pretty daunting. And obviously Helen and Bernadette are kind of disturbed by hearing the fact that this poor woman was murdered and no one did anything about it. It shifts to an evening. Um, it's it's a very interesting shot shift where it, it, it goes into Helen's face as she's listening to them talk about Ruthie Jean's murder and the fact that no one showed up. And then it, it leads to like laughing and now we're shifted back into like these men laughing at the dinner table. It's Helen with her husband Trevor, which we met a little bit earlier when we were talking about the thesis portion of the movie. Um, having dinner with another professor, Philip Purcell, I believe is his name. And he is also another professor who also does papers and academia on urban legends as well. He also... I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I think it's important. Did we talk about Anne-Marie and her dog? And her do We did, we did, right? I didn't mention did the dog, about... but I mentioned the child. But yeah, she does have a dog so, as well. It's her, her dog and her kid and all of that. Yes. And, um, yeah, okay, good. Sorry, sorry. Um, they're eating dinner together, and... Uh, Philip Purcell kind of hears that Helen and Bernadette are planning on writing a paper that includes Candyman and the legend of Candyman. So, of course, in his typical fashion of most egotistical men, he decides to kind of be a bit condescending and tells the story from his quote-unquote expert um, opinion or ability from what he wrote in the paper earlier about Candyman, the actual story of what happened to the man that we know now as Candyman. The story. You give his name, but only in the sequels, I believe. Yes. I think his name is never mentioned this in this particular yeah. movie, which is why I didn't include it. But it's, it's Daniel. I don't know how to pronounce his last name because I believe it's partially. I don't know if it's give French, it, but it's like. Give it your Robitaille. It's French. I think I that's it. I think that's it. Robitaille. Anyway, we could be wrong. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's not included in here, so that's okay. Um, so the story goes as follows that Candyman was born probably late 1800s as the son of a slave. He grew up to 18, become... 1890. 1890. He grew up to become a well-known artist who was really popular and sought out for because his portraits were really good. Um, and of course, during this time, son of a slave, the commissioners for his artwork were typically the wealthy white people of, I guess, Chicago. Um, he ended up falling in love with a white woman and they ended up having a child together. But again, obviously for the time period, that was a big no-no. And he ended up, her father ended up sending a lynching mob after him. And once he was captured, they cut off his right arm. Um, obviously while he was conscious and alive, they stripped him naked put honey or honeycomb i believe they they said honeycomb all over his body um and it attracted bees from like the local hive that was right there and it stung him to death and he was basically killed to death by bees and obviously more than likely the bleeding from his arm um his corpse was then burned on a pyre and his ashes were just kind of scattered around the land where cabrini green just happens to have been built so that is a very gory um, explanation as to where the legend comes from in this movie. And it, it kind of builds a bit of a character for Candyman that we up to now didn't really have much of. So Helen, during this whole time, it's very zoomed in on her. We don't necessarily see any of this happening to 
um, Candyman himself, but it's more so focusing on her expression and, you know, her eyes are very teary and she looks horrified to hear the story. I feel like anyone would because it even shocked me when I um, was watching it for the first time. So when Helen returns back to Cabrini Green, um, a little boy whose name I unfortunately cannot remember um, was kind of helping her around and was leading her to where he heard Candyman was typically found. So she follows this little boy and he takes her to what looks like an abandoned bathroom or just a bathroom. I'm not, I don't think it's abandoned. I think people use it, but it's obviously not very well taken care of. I would use it. Yeah. Um, so she goes into the bathroom. I believe it's a men's room. And again, there's graffiti. There's like a horrible smell, as we can see from the fact that she's covering her face. The toilets, as she opens it, um, she goes inside. Very dirty. Obviously, it doesn't look like it could be good usage. But inside, she sees a bunch of bees coming out. And it's a very disgusting scene. Just a bunch of bees swarming out from the toilet. And, you know, she's trying to take pictures. She's trying to kind of document what she sees. And then we see a man come in in a long leather coat. And she assumes he's there to use the bathroom. Uh, he is not. He has a hook that comes out of his sleeve. And he considers himself, like, quote-unquote, like, the real Candyman. Like, that's what he goes by. Um, and he and a couple, two other men come inside and they basically attack her. They, you know, uh, assault her, beat her up, to be specific. And uh, we don't really see anything again, but we hear the screamings and we hear the sounds from outside where the boy is waiting for her. Again, I don't, it's not to say that the boy did this on purpose. It's more so implied that he is part of a gang and he sort of takes on the persona of Candyman to um, kind of push his agenda. So, the, yes. The little boy also warns her, like, don't do this. <laughs> like, don't yeah, go there, yeah. basically. She, she was very apprehensive about any of this, but, you know, he's a child and she talks him into it <laughs> and he we, listens. We, we also didn't bring up the reason why he takes her to that bathroom is because there had been, like, a Candyman attack there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're right. You're right. And that's and why he leads it, her there. There was a sighting it's of like Candyman. A, it's a dark story where a mother sends her... I don't know. Like, they say special needs, but it's not really... It didn't need to be said, like, no, at all, because it, it doesn't fit into the story anyway. But um, she sends her child across the street while she's shopping. The child goes over there. We assume he says Candyman in the mirror, and he he cast he he castrates the kid, and the kid's on the floor writhing, bleeding. And they said they found the remnants floating in the toilet. Um, and it's kind of an unnecessary scene, in my opinion. I, I think it might be the only thing I'd change. I kind of respect how gory it was because they really do throw blood all over that bathroom in a way that's like pretty unexpected because you're pretty you're fairly deep into the movie at that point you really haven't seen anything like that but um i don't know that seems unsettling but yes and then it leads to the bathroom and then her getting assaulted in the bathroom by the so-called candy man yeah and then we shift now to um we see her face oh no we see a lineup of men who are being questioned by the police um, and they're stepping forward and reciting the line of, he said something to her when she came in. I don't quite remember the line by memory, but each of the men are basically repeating what the original um, gang Candyman said to her when he walked into the bathroom. And she, you can see her face now, obviously half of it is very swollen, um, is listening and trying to point out which of these men are were the perpetrators. And she ends up finding him, number four. 
and she tells the police officer who was there helping her, the investigator. And again, he turns out to be the head of a very notorious gang in the area. So um, the lieutenant or the officer is obviously glad that she was able to point him out. Uh, and the police assumes that he is the one that is therefore responsible for the murders that were going on. Because yeah. of what he did, but also because she tells him that he called himself by Candyman. So he kind of puts those pieces together and calls it a day. Um, it's, it's hard to blame them for thinking that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then I'm going to, do you want to talk about when now she's healed again and she sees her husband, she cooks some dinner. He's, it's, it's a very yeah. side portion of the story where just like the husband is kind of gross. He's, he's a professor. Like I said, there's a girl in the class that's, he's very flirty with, and she's obviously interested in, he calms his wife down. Helen says, no, 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 it's nothing. Nothing's going on. She cooks him dinner. And it's kind of like a weird, like, he's just eating food and they're having dinner together. I don't think there's much else to the scene that's important, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So then Helen, now healed, um, is in a parking garage. And she is walking to her car. And there she sees the real Candyman finally show up um, in a distance. And there's sort of a moment where he shows up and talks to her, the first words he says to her, and she sort of becomes in this hypnotic sort of state where she's sort of entranced by him. And he explains, in short, that, you know, she didn't believe in him. She didn't believe in his legend. And as a sort of retribution for that, he now must shed blood in order to continue um, his story or his relevancy. And... Mm-hmm. They had a hypnotist on set yeah. to make her make that face. It was she so good. Was repeatedly hypnotized, and it, she she claims it worked on her. It gave her that like glazed look. Yeah, and it was really uh, well. I think she she had said that she was not remembering massive portions of filming, and so she was re- requested to stop the uh, the hypnotism. But yeah, it was fact, it was, was great. Like the shots hypnotist. of her face, like it was all really really incredible. Um, and the lighting yeah. they used for those particular shots were also pretty um, incredible. Like, it was very, like, a glassy, ethereal kind of a look um, when she was listening to him, listening to what he says. That kind of gives it a more of a hypnotized sort of vibe, but it's it's obviously very ethereal as well. Um, and then she blacks out. And we shift scenes now to where she is waking up. Um, and she sees, she hears screaming. And there's blood all over her. And shes I think she's covered partially by a towel. She gets up and it's a bloody bathroom. She opens the door. She hears yelling. And we basically see that the, I believe it was a Rottweiler, the dog that yeah. Anne-Marie had. She's in Anne-Marie's apartment. The Rottweiler has been decapitated. Um, the blood is everywhere and... Anne-Marie screaming tells her or insinuates that her baby Anthony is stolen. At this point, Helen, (laughs) upon waking up, grabs the only thing she sees, which is a knife, because in her confused mind, she woke up covered in blood. She doesn't know what's going on. And Anne-Marie, obviously seeing her with the knife and knowing that, you know, something happened that we don't know and neither does Helen know, assuming that she came in, killed the dog, who knows what else, goes forward to kind of attack and disarm Helen and Helen (laughs) wrestles with her knocks her to the ground and has the knife over her head trying to kind of calm down Anne-Marie 
And in that moment, the police knock down the door, come in and see Helen in that compromising position with a knife over her head. They tell her to drop the knife. She does. She backs away. Um, they go to assist Anne-Marie, and Anne-Marie gets back up, grabs a knife, tries to go after her. The police restrain her, and they remove her and take her away from the apartment. Helen, go ahead. I'm curious to see what AJ thought of this scene, because she had said that the movie wasn't as gory as she thought it was going to be, but that scene to me was way gorier than I remember, and the amount of, like, Mm -hmm. how blood-soaked that apartment is, and the actual severed head. I just wanted to know, this is really the first bit of, like, quote-unquote action we get, besides, like, the first couple of minutes of this movie, in probably 40 minutes. Yeah. Right? Like, damn near? Yeah. Um, I don't think we see Tony Todd for the first time in that parking garage till the halfway point. And I'm, I'm wondering what that was like for AJ for this movie to be very slow for a while and then suddenly take off. Because uh, be- before we get into that, though, I was saying that this movie is slow. It is. But it's not a detriment to the movie. It, it moves kind of slowly, but it's not a bad thing. But overall, in comparison to other slashers, this movie's pretty slow. Yeah. I think that I didn't say that it was not gory, like not as gory as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was like a good amount of gore. Like it wasn't too gory for me, but it was like interesting enough, you know, like it still had that element. Um, And I think that this scene really shows that. I think this scene also is the beginning of what I find one of the things that I find really compelling about this movie, which is this like double horror effect where she gets blamed for this attack. And um, as we continue, we'll look more at that. But um, this idea of like waking up, having no idea where you are, you're covered in blood, you're freaking out, you grab a knife because that's the only thing to protect you. And then you find out that like you're getting blamed for the murder because of it is like, I don't know, like I can't imagine much worse than like that kind of reality um so it's definitely something that's like impactful and i think a big theme in this movie and a b- the beginning of a big theme of this movie yeah no i agree i was just curious to see how aj was feeling at this point that's all how dare you <laughs> <laughs> um i can take the next part do you want do you want me to i've you guys have been going at it this whole time. Okay, you go. Um, you you might have to steer me in the the right direction if I skip some stuff though. Um, but uh, Helen is taken into custody and she spends almost a night in jail, or is it a full night? She calls her husband and her husband doesn't answer the phone. It's like her one phone call. Um, but it, we assume he comes later, maybe early morning, the next morning, and he takes her, uh, pays bail. We assume, and takes her from prison. The, uh, her lawyer comes and like puts a coat over her head because there's a bunch of press outside waiting to uh, get the story about this woman going in and cutting off a dog's head and trying to kill a woman and she is assuming we, she kidnapped her baby <laughs> and she goes back and she's uh, very shell-shocked and she's staying at home and she suspects her husband was out cheating the night she was arrested uh, alluding to earlier when she also when he she expected him to be cheating earlier and he goes and he leaves for 20 minutes to go pick up some paperwork from the office and she decides to go through the picture she had taken at the scene of Ruth Ann's or Ruth, Ruthie uh, her murder and she notices that Candyman is in the background of some of the photos that she took. Did I miss anything important? No, I no. think you're good. You're right on track. 
Um, then she's kind of wandering around her her apartment, kind of spooked. And I'm not sure if this real if there's a real event that triggers it, but Candyman shows up again and speaks to her in the the sexy Tony Todd voice, and he winds up wounding her with his hook to like the back of her head. Right? Um, it looks like almost like it's fatal, but she's okay. Um, but she's getting covered in blood, and that's when Bernadette comes and starts knocking on the door with flowers to come check on her poor traumatized friend after spending a night in prison and being accused of first-degree murder. But what do they call it? They call it Murder One. They call it this. Murder One, yeah. And I'd never heard of that before, and neither of you guys, right? No. But anyway, with Helen being so wounded, she's trying to tell Bernadette to go away and stop knocking on the door, because Candyman's there, but she's so wounded that it's kind of coming out as like a whisper. Eventually, Bernadette just opens the door. She makes eye contact with Candyman, and Candyman horribly murders her. It's all done off screen, but you see her body later pretty wrecked. But of course, the cops come in afterwards and find Bernadette dead and Helen covered in blood. And I believe Helen had also, she pulled some kind of weapon, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe not. She had pulled like a knife or something when she was walking around her apartment spooked. So again, it looked like Helen had committed the murder. Again, launching her into police custody and getting her put into a psych ward and being injected with Thorazine and sleeping through the night. Although she's screaming and yelling that she's being left defenseless and... Candyman's going to come kill her if she can't defend herself. And then Candyman is like revealed to be in the room with her and is kind of hovering over her and threatening her and she's screaming and yelling. And then this is kind of where, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where Candyman starts kind of alluding to the fact that he's not killing her for a reason, that he yeah. wants her. Or he, he, there's, this is when the kind of the romantic portion of the kind of like, I say romantic, but it's kind of like an ownership. It's, it's odd. Um, well, he, like, asks her, this is, the wording is really specific. He says, like, please be my victim, which I thought was yeah. really interesting from the beginning. Because you kind of assume that, like, he just shows up and kills people. So, like, if he wanted to kill her, he could just kill her. And so you kind of already wonder, like, where that is. And then you get this dynamic where she's completely defenseless by herself. And he's still like, come be with me, come be with me, come be with me instead of just killing her and that's kind of where i think this like concept that there's something more in it for him is yeah yeah definitely there's there, there's more to it and it's um i mean be my victims like basically candy man's catchphrase or at least that's what i think of when i think mm -hmm. of like an iconic line from candy of uh, candy man it's be my victim candy land uh real <laughs> it's a gritty, i play candy land it's a gritty reboot on the cw um <laughs> But then there's a really cool thing where it seems like it's the next morning where she gets dragged in to see her doctor, who is also connected to, like, her attorney for, like, legal reasons. And she's basically like, I want to see my attorney. I want to get out of here. And that's when it's revealed that she has been in this psych ward for a month, that they've been injecting her with Thorazine, and she's basically slept for a month. Um, and it's it's uh, it, it's kind of a... I love that moment. It's It's... I don't know how to explain it, but it, it it's really impactful, you know, the fact that they just kept her drugged up against her will for, like, a full month for crimes she didn't commit. But again, you can't blame the authorities for 
thinking that she's involved <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, the it lines up too perfectly and it's it really victimizes helen even more so than she already was does someone else want to take the next scene because it's a it's a great scene uh i can continue if you want yeah sure thing so uh oh did you already talk about what happens to dr burke or is that the scene that you're referring to no, this is okay the scene okay so she's talking to dr burke um again he's already explained everything she attempts to prove that she's innocent, and so she says Candyman's name, or she summons him, I should say. She says it again, um, and boom, just like clockwork, Candyman pops up behind Dr. Burke and, like, stabs him. Is it through the chest, or is it through the head? It's, like, up the chest. He, like, comes up him. And, and just, like, like slices build. and dices him. Yeah. And it is, oh, it is incredible. He comes out of nowhere. It's not technically a jump scare, but it kind of acts as one. You're not quite sure where he's going to pop up, if he even is, considering the fact that, you know, we haven't seen that much of him. Um, And it's bloody, and it's incredible, and it's a wonderful scene. Obviously, (laughs) Helen is kind of shocked that he showed up at all, and obviously he kills Dr. Burke. But um, through this, she's able to escape, but obviously she's going to be blamed for his murder, because who else would it have been? She was the last person in his office. So she escapes... There's like a thing too where her her hands are bound, so you're thinking like, oh, if they come in and see him dead, mm-hmm. and her hands are bound, that she's pretty good, I guess, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> like that'd be simple. And then the last thing right after he he kills the doctor is he breaks her bonds, yeah. yeah. And at I that point, it's like, move your ass. <laughs> yeah, and she, you got no she point at away. that. Which of course, yeah. you know, at that point, that's kind of all you can do. Um, yeah. Let's not add another murder charge to her already ongoing investigation. <laughs> um, murder three now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then she returns to her apartment that she shares with her husband, and she finds out that her dirty, gross, ugly husband is now living <laughs> with the girl from earlier, his student Stacey. from his yes from his class, Stacy. Um, and they're living together, and they're repainting one of the rooms this god-awful, ugly pink color. And, it's the worst. Yeah, it's disgusting. And it's kind of implied, you know, that he's been having an affair with her this entire time. Yeah, God, I hate him. Um, she confronts him. Um, he's basically, like, trying to explain himself, threatening that he's going to call the psych ward. Um, she has, I believe, a knife with her again, and she's like, go ahead, call them. Stacy's crying. He's obviously afraid of her. Um, and then after that, she ends up leaving. Oh, does she stab him or does she? No, I don't, she just no. like she, she just asks leaves. him. She asks him, "Are you scared of something?" And then she just leaves. She just leaves after, and then she goes to back to Cabrini Green, um, to find Candyman and to find where the little baby Anthony, where he has him hidden. So she goes into his lair, which is, again, the same place we saw before with um, the mural and everything. And he's asleep, which always to me is such, like, not a funny scene, but I would never picture this entity just being, like, taking a nap on the floor, just chilling. But (laughs) he's asleep. I thought of something funny in general is that this baby has been gone for, like, a month. So that means that Candyman has been, like, taking care of this baby, has been, like, changing the diaper and, like, feeding it milk and, like, raising this baby for a month. And the baby looks great. He's having the a great time. Seems the baby fine. seems unaffected. Yeah. Yeah. So Candyman, nurturer. 
Yeah. Um. So she wakes him up by, I believe, stabbing. <laughs> him. Oh, you could say you could say he's hot when he's covered in blood and shit, but we can't we say can't. he's a good father. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had a baby. It, it all goes back to his origin. You know, he had a baby. He's not going to you know do anything to the baby. He had a child. The child was lost to him. Um. But anyway, she wakes him up by stabbing him, and she thinks that she killed him. Jokes on her. Obviously, she did not. He gets up takes out, I believe she stabs him with his own hook, I believe. It could be incorrect about yeah. the weapon. He pulls it out. Obviously, he's unfazed. And he basically tells her that, you know, surrendering to him is the only way that Anthony, the baby, will be coming out safely. And he basically goes in a whole spiel about how, you know, if he joins, she joins him, she'll be immortal. Um, she He opens up his, like, signature coat that he's wearing and it's just like his bones his ribs are showing and there's like tons of bees on it like he's literally mm-hmm. just like half made of bees at this point pretty pretty cool shot i will say in terms of i'm not quite sure if they use prosthetics or what you know what they use specifically but it's an incredible scene i can answer that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they are all real bees the one that is every mouth, one I know, of those real bees too right the ones in his mouth are yeah. real. He has a mouth insert kind of protecting him from the bees. And all of those bees are under 24 hours old because they don't have their stingers fully developed. Mm-hmm. That did not stop him from getting stung in the mouth several times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, after he reveals his rib cage, he opens his mouth and bees come out of his mouth. And it's just like, oh, it is so gnarly now knowing that it's like real bees. But even just seeing that, like, I love bees. I think they're really cute, but I would never want them in my fucking mouth. Let alone anywhere fucking near me. And, you know, Helen having... take. (laughs) Helen having no choice, because obviously she wants to save Anthony, um, in a way kind of agrees, and he kisses her pretty grossly because the bees kind of start going down her throat. Um, And he disappears with the baby, and she awakes... And she sees the mural, a sort of mural on the side of Candyman and his, his, I guess, his wife or his lover, I guess I should um, call her, from the story previously. But she happens to have a very striking resemblance to Helen herself. They look very alike. Um, Which now we're kind of piecing together more of the story as to why he probably did not kill her. So Candyman... Uh, basically agrees to release Anthony if Helen helps him in, I guess, eliciting fear into all the residents of Cabrini Green. So there's like this whole like big, um, I guess, pyre that they've been building since she kind of got there. Uh, this bunch of wood and like trash and whatnot that was just kind of bundled together. And he's in a way attempting to kind of continue on his legacy um, and he ignites the place, and it, it sets on fire. And she is going through the rub the rubble, rubble, rummage, I should say, trying Wait, to look yeah. for the baby that's crying. And once it's set on fire, um, what is it? He doesn't ignite it. The people that live there ignite it. Yeah, the the residents are like, "Scanning man was in there. Burn it down." Mm. Yeah. Mm. Although they know there's a baby in there and uh, yeah. one crawling through the, the And he's the he's TV. holding her down and she's like yelling and um, trying to like <laughs> tell him to stop and to help and obviously no one's listening to her. And the fire is going, the baby's still crying. She's, you know, 
freaking out. Candyman's having the time of his life in there. Um, and he, he gets destroyed by the flames somehow. He gets burned by it. And she is able to, I think she pulls away from him. And in that moment is when he gets caught in the flames. She goes after the sound of where the baby's coming from to go save it. But she gets obviously burned in the crossfire as she's trying to, you know, take the baby out. The boy from earlier, I forget his name, and I'm really sorry, I forget his name. The I young think it's boy, Jake. maybe I think you're right. I, I think, think it's Jake, Jake. from um, earlier that you know took her to the restroom before, and you know that that part. Um, very cute little boy. He's there as well, and so he basically she hands him the baby. He takes the baby, and Anthony is saved, and so is Jake, but she unfortunately um, dies from the severe burns. And she, does not make she, it out of She's life. not just burnt. She's on fire. Yeah, yeah. Her yeah, head is smoking. on fire. <laughs> smoking. Smoking. <laughs> um, and the, the now it shifts to, like, the funeral, or her funeral. I believe we saw that her husband was there, but with fucking Stacy. Yes. How yeah. How <laughs> um, I'd be so pissed. If her her coffin died, was bubblegum pink, by the way. I need, <laughs> I need you guys to promise something. Okay, if I die, and my wife was having an affair and brings whoever she's having an affair with to my funeral, I need you to kick them out of my funeral. There will be two funerals at that point. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll just tell Kim to kill, and she'll yeah. do it. <laughs> yes. She'll be like, make sure you take a picture of me when I'm covered in blood, though. That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's, though. Um, uh, and at that funeral, um, the residents from... Um, the project, the housing projects show up, led by Anne-Marie, who now has her baby back, and they drop, I believe it's hooks, am I yes, correct? Yeah. Hooks, yeah, hooks into where her casket is being lowered. I And, and it's kind of like a symbolism of that they, they know kind of what she did, or at least who she was tied to, uh, and the residents themselves know what happened that night, whether the full truth or just, the, again, rumors of what they know. Um, it just shows that they're aware of her role that she played in it. Then it shifts to the very end of the movie. Um, oh my god, poor grief-stricken Trevor, the gross-ass husband, oh, yeah. is waiting in the bathroom. His girlfriend, Stacy, is like cooking dinner. He's like crying in the bathroom by himself. I don't know why. I don't know why he's so guilty all of a sudden, but he is. Looks into the mirror, says Helen's name, um, and then... He goes back out to the kitchen. I believe the lights kind of flicker on or the lights change color. And then Helen shows up as a sort of spectral spirit and kills him with the hook. And then we go shift back to Candyman's lair where we had the big mural. And now there is a new mural uh, with Helen present, dressed um, in white with her hair sort of on fire. Or I believe yeah. it's on fire. No, it looks, yeah, it's very flame-like. And again, Ah. going back to the fact that she is now also a sort of myth, an urban legend in the same respects that Candyman was. So that's that's Um, how that ends. I want to add two details real fast. Um, He says her name five times and turns the lights off himself. And then then turns it back on and sees her. And then... um, his girlfriend is holding a giant ass knife because she was cutting meat and she walks in and finds him like brutally murdered while holding a giant knife. 
Yeah, and I think it, of... it plays back into the whole thing of like setting people up for being murderers. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, that's the end. Yeah. Good ass um, movie. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to hear a lot of your takes on it, AJ, because you seem to have a like for this movie that's kind of unprecedented. I know you like Midsummer, yeah. but that was like our I first think episode. This is one of my favorites for sure. Um, I don't know. I think it's just got like quite a lot of layers that I think are really interesting. I think something about the academic part just like speaks to me because I'm a nerd who's an academic. Um, And so it's like, okay, I can imagine doing this thesis and like taking it too far and that leading to this trouble. Um, But also I think it's just got like really interesting dynamics. I think we talked a little bit about Helen, but Helen is very brave and very empowered and um seems to be somebody who gets what she wants because she works hard to get what she wants and isn't afraid to speak her mind and I think that we don't often get that kind of leading role from women in horror which I mean I don't know I haven't seen all of it yet but from what I've seen and um so I think there's that element that I really like. And then there's the level of, like, I think Candyman is really cool as, like, a story. I think, like, him as the villain does have some layer of, like, he's been mistreated and stuck in this loop and forced to live this reality um, as the villain. And you get some empathy in that role. But also he is just pretty dope. Like, he's got, like, some interesting magical powers level where he's, like, able to appear and disappear really quickly. I think that he, I like the trope of saying a name in a mirror and, like, him appearing. Um, I think that it's definitely got, I love the social commentary parts of it. One of the things I was going to highlight that I thought was really interesting that I just, like, goes back to the social commentary. But there was this whole thing about them seeming like cops. And it was just spoke to me just because, like, uh, in the work I do, I've had to think a lot about, like, how I'm presenting myself. And, like, specifically as a white person going into people's homes to, like, tell them, I mean, I essentially tell them how to parent. And I need to be very conscious with that. And so it was very interesting to, like, have a movie call out the fact that, like, they're going into these spaces and they look a certain way. And that makes them seem like cops or the enemies and stuff like that. And, um... I thought that was interesting, and then I thought it was interesting when Anne-Marie was like, they're not going to take this one away when talking about her baby. I thought that that was a line that said a lot without saying a lot, and was, like, something you could easily miss, but also, like, if you're looking for the social commentary, like, that is something that's like, oh, shit, like, she is talking about, like, child welfare system, and, like, the way that it is disproportionately affects people of color, and um, that that is just, like, thrown into this movie, I think is really powerful. Um, I like how many people of color are centered in the story. I think that it is interesting, though, to have the dynamic where it's a white woman and then, like, the quote-unquote villain is a black man. I think that that's an interesting, like, a. I think when you talked about the story about his background, like, that is very much a story that has been heard before and a horrifying truth of the reality of this country. And um, I think that that also just, like furthers the power that this movie has um yeah i just really liked it i'm I'm glad i, I think it's 
this is a slasher made post the slasher era, but pre the slasher revival era mm-hmm. of Scream. Mm-hmm. So slashers just fucking sucked post like 86, 88, up until like 96 with Scream. And I think this one's a big standout. Um, I think that it, it's super stylistic and Tony Todd just absolutely fucking kills it. Mm-hmm. Just, just it's hard to say that he carried the movie because it'd be so easy to say that if the other parts of the movie weren't good and i still think he carries the movie but he doesn't have a like a huge load to carry <laughs> because the movie's really is good besides it um yeah i i think that it, it's a testament to it that i do consider this movie slow but still very entertaining it just shows that like everything they do is is worthwhile throughout it I think the gore of this movie really stood out to me this time because I didn't remember this movie being gory, but it's very gory. This movie's pretty goddamn brutal, and I really appreciate that it that it is, and it uses it sparingly almost uh, to the ways where it is super gory. It's it's very effective, uh, and it stands out, and it's it's visceral and it's gross. Um, I think there is certainly like kind of a victimization of Tony Todd, uh, like Candyman. To, to some degree like freddy krueger was a piece of shit before he was burnt alive yeah and he's a piece of shit after and i think he shares kind of more in common with like jason Voorhees, where they were kind of innocent victims upon death and then came back as these horrible monster people and i think that's really interesting i think they had a black slasher killer without it being exploited like exploitative mm-hmm. which was very refreshing when you look at other movies <laughs> from around this time uh it's never quite great so i think it was really refreshing and i think the movie stands out because of it i don't think Candyman comes to the tip of the tongue when you think of like famous slasher villains but i think he should be i agree i think his other two movies aren't great and that didn't help so hopefully this this reboot coming out this year helps with that yeah Kim, final thoughts? Um, so I'll, I guess I have three portions of this. And as much as I, I love this movie, I also have a few criticisms of it as well. Um, so first of all, let me just talk about what I love about the movie itself. And then I'll get into those afterwards. I'll try to be as brief as possible. But we also know. I want to highlight the music before you do. The music's incredible. It yes. sells this movie. Okay, <laughs> the movie ahead. is insane. <laughs> um, so the inspiration of these movies, of this movie, and I believe the rest of the series as well, which I have not, unfortunately, I have not seen, but I've only seen this one, um, was two books, The Forbidden. Um, and Books of Blood by Clive Barker. So there, there is a lot of inspiration in short stories and storytelling from previous um, books by this particular... He's a screenwriter and I believe an author as well. He wrote Hellraiser. He's responsible for pinning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's famous. Um, but these books as well is where the sort of um, inspiration for this movie came from, as well as an actual uh, murder case of Ruthie Mae McCoy. Um, if you haven't looked at that, it's actually a very sad story, but it also was a real life, um, cold case that was never actually solved. So these kind of three different things acted as a sort of inspiration to this movie and learning more about those and reading the stories, you kind of get a bigger perspective into, uh, this particular movie as a whole. Um, but I really like the fact that this movie puts itself, I guess, a bit differently than I would say a lot of other slashers kind of have. Firstly, on just Candyman himself, I think he's very unique. I think every 
horror legend has his own sort of weaponry and look. And I think the bees are really cute, but also a very nice and interesting touch that makes him very, you know, unforgettable. Same with the hook. I think the hook is something that's very, um, it's dangerous and it's also something you just wouldn't see. It's very different from, you know, a kitchen knife or, you know, something along the lines of a machete. Things that you typically could find if you were looking for, but on the same tonage as Freddy Krueger's, you know, fingers and his finger knives, I think the hook is also very unique in its own sort of classification as a horror movie legend weapon. So I think that kind of puts him in his own sort of state of uniqueness. Um, I think the whole concept of urban legends and mythology that this movie kind of goes with is what's really fucking cool to me. I think a lot of it is like ingrained in the idea that believing in something is what makes it real. And I think we see that in a couple of the lines, the very beginning, which we didn't talk on, um, because I also forgot to bring it up. Um, the very beginning of the movie, before we see any characters, there's just Candyman's voice, and he says a couple oh, yeah. lines about, you know, they say I have shed innocent blood. What is blood for not, if not for shedding? My hook for a hand. I'll split you from your groin to your gullet. I came for you, etc. And throughout the film, he has other lines where he's talking to Helen, and he's talking about, um, I am the whisperer in the classroom. I'm the writing on the wall. Without these things, I am nothing. And the whole movie, his whole motivation throughout the movie is to continue on his sort of legend. That is what keeps him alive. And I think that in and of itself as a plot is very interesting to me because I think it brings up a lot of, I, I would say probably philosophical questioning, you know, I mean, do we believe in something because it's real or is something real because we believe in it? And I think that is a pretty interesting question to ponder on. And I think this movie does a really good job of asking that question and building that question. You know, a lot of it is, you know, how much was Helen and how much was Candyman? This could be interpreted as, you know, maybe she's just a, he was just a hallucination. And this was all something that was in her mind. Or is he an actual entity that is manipulating her only because she gives him the power to be, to exist, and to be real? Um, or is it this whole bigger conception of destiny and sort of inevitability of sorts where, you know, it's sort of Harry Potter and Voldemort-esque kind of a situation where they're connected and they become one in a metamorphosis um, from the conclusion of his original origin story. So, you know, there's a lot of different takes on this particular movie. And I think having that sort of vagueness almost in that question of, you know, belief is what keeps him going. What happens if we don't believe in him? What happens if belief runs out? And I think that sort of philosophical question could be taken out of this movie and put into anything. I believe the director, Rose, talked about an interview, and I wrote the quote down, but I'm not quite sure where the interview was taking place, but he kind of extends it to sort of like, he uses God as an analogy. You know, if God exists because we believe in him, what would happen to him if the worship ceased? That's a direct quote. So I'm not, that's not me speaking. That's his direct quote. And I think having that sort of perception of it and now put into this movie, I think it gives it a sort of extra layer of complexity. And not just in this, but, you know, if you think about that to other horror movies, like how much how much power is given to something by, by believing in it? Not just ghosts, not just demons, but just things like that in general. It becomes a little Freddy krueger to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, that's that's like the whole plot of Freddy versus Jason is they forgot about me so I can't come back. Mm -hmm. I'll have Jason go kill people so they remember me. 
And that to me is just so, so, so cool. And I think, you know, reality is a creature of perspective. You know, what we think is real does not inherently mean that it is real in and of itself. And I think that sort of vagueness is what's really cool about this movie to me. Um, also, and I don't have an issue with it per se, but I think this is more so one of the bigger themes of the movie. Um, when we talk about, you know, an outsider coming into someone else's community. And in this case, it is a white woman coming into the black community in terms of doing, you know, her research and sort of infiltrating the community to, you know, further her academic endeavors. Um, I think another movie that does this, and I'm going to say it specifically because the remake includes Jordan Peele, is Get Out. And the comparison to me is sort of where it's reversed, where we have in Get Out a black man who is coming into a white community and we're sort of seeing the horror in that sort of infiltration in the same way that we see it here. Which is why I'm really interested in this remake because I feel like seeing Get Out to me, seeing the character and understanding sort of his fear when it comes to going into a community that is so different than yours, i.e. being a person of color going into a white community, there is a sort of inherent fear that comes with that. And seeing that being turned into a horror movie, to me, was genius. In this respect, you know, we're having that sort of be the opposite. A white person coming into a black community and sort of, you know, having to experience, I guess for the first time you can sort of assume, um, poverty and the differences of what, not even that long of a distance between her house and the project housing, what a difference of you know, surroundings looks like when we have, you know, communities that are, for lack of a better term, ghettoized. So I think that to me is kind of where I look at this movie and I make that comparison. Obviously, I prefer the movie Get Out in terms of having done this just because to me, I don't know, there's, it sort of gives me a white savior complex in this movie a lot when it comes to this woman coming into this community and being the one to save everyone and being the one to be the only one who sees him and the only one who knows what's happening. It, it's a very slippery slope for me. I don't think this movie is does it badly. I don't think it's 100% enough to take away from the greatness of the movie. But I think there is a lot that comes with this perspective of having a white woman be the hero in a movie where there is a black man as a villain. It just does not really mm-hmm. sit 100% right for me. Yeah. Um, even the fact that like, she isn't afraid of going to this community. She isn't afraid of Candyman, whereas everyone else in the community is. I think shows to me a little bit of a sort of privilege that comes with that. You know, living in this community, having something like an urban legend like that exist, of course the people are going to be afraid, but having this sort of complexity of like, mm, I don't believe in that. Mm, I'm not afraid of that. I'm brave. I'm the hero. I don't know. It just puts like a really weird taste in my mouth personally. Um, but I don't think that takes away from her heroism in terms of being a female and being a female in the leading role of this movie. I do think she is pretty badass, and I do think her bravery is a testament to her character. It's just a very slippery slope in terms of how I read this movie as a whole. Can um, I add something? I, I oh, go yeah, go, go ahead. I, I have something to say on that topic as well after. Um, I completely agree. Um, but what I was going to add is that I think the movie even kind of points that out when they have. Um, or at least to some level points at it, is when the man is um, arrested who, like, self-identifies as Candyman. Um, and she's like, why, like, 
why is he just now arrested when there were multiple murders and multiple things that they thought yeah. he was dead and now just because this white woman can point him out and be like he was there that he's finally arrested nobody showed up when they called the police mm-hmm. multiple times when the first mm-hmm. murder was about to happen but a white woman gets punched in the face and their their arrests made yeah or as in nothing happened before yeah c- certainly i was also going to say that uh, well, I, I fully understand, like, the, the white savior complex, and she's the one that comes in and, and uh, solves the problem, essentially. I think the problem might not have been there in many degrees, would she have just listened or taken their word, or taken them seriously. But no, she had to think she was smarter than everybody else and, like, mm-hmm. really get, and she dies in the end for it. Yeah. So well, I, I I like fully agree with you. I'm not stating a counter argument. I'm just saying that maybe another view on it is she had to assume that she would be the one to fix it, and it costs her. It costs her her life at the end of it, and that if she would have respected what other people had to say, or or people from that to community, them. like listen to black yeah, people, exactly. if you're going to someone's community, you should kind of listen to what they have to say. <laughs> it, it a hundred. That's exactly what I mean. Thank yeah, you. I'm yeah. very drunk. No, no, agree, but, agree. Um, but I think so. I think there's well, I see what you're saying entirely. I think there's also kind of the same argument from a different area to be made that it's it's dumb, you know. Like, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that, hundred percent. And and a lot of if she wouldn't, well, she wasn't crawling through medicine cabinets, she might not be, have been that way. Exactly, she has the ability to to do this, to do this exploration, to freely walk into this housing project, and people think that she's a cop and be afraid yeah. of her. Um, whereas if the roles were reversed, I don't necessarily think she, if she were black and everyone else were white, as we see in Get Out, I don't believe she'd be getting that exact same treatment as she would be in this particular setting. I also, and this is just a criticism I've always kind of, I want to say criticism, it's just something that's, I would fix if I were in it and always kind of like rub me the wrong way. But I talked about before how like the idea of like a black villain or a black boogeyman versus like a white woman victim to me just it doesn't i it doesn't hit the same way as if the roles were reversed i mean yeah. the fact that this man knowing his origins right that he was a slave or a son of a slave and he was killed by white people and the fact that he still kills black people does not make sense to me and i think that's the one thing that has always kind of confused me and upset me about his particular character is that he goes after his own people he goes after people in communities that he would have been a part of. That, to me, just does not sit right with me. And I feel like it takes a lot away from his character to reduce him from, you know, a son of a slave who was wronged for just loving someone and having that sort of injustice placed on him in a time where injustice was common to now just being someone who cares about his legacy and will kill black men, women, and children. That, to me, just does not make sense to me. And that kind of always upsets me when I watch it because, I don't know, if that were my origin story, I would not be killing my own people. I'm just going to say that point blank. If it were more so a revenge tactic, which is kind of what they went with Helen at the end, getting revenge on Trevor, um, why would they not have him go after, you know, people that quote unquote wronged him? It It just never made sense to me. And it takes away a lot of what I think any sort of sympathy he's meant to have. Like, you're right, his origin story, very sympathetic. It's a horrible way to die, horrible treatment that, again, is not uncommon in our history. But he's not a sympathetic character in the fact that he kills 
black people for no reason besides just saying his name. That to me is not sympathetic at all. To me, that's really fucked up. It doesn't make sense why he would kill black people just for using his name. And I know yeah. it's not meant to, it's meant to be anyone who uses it, but clearly when a white person uses it, like Helen, we get a love story. But when a black person uses it, for whatever the reasons, we get murder. And granted, granted, in the beginning of the movie, we did see, you know, another white woman who got killed by him. That's the whole beginning of the movie. I'll give you the pass on that one. But it just never made sense to me why that is the way they decided to build his character towards. And I feel like if they would have made it differently, it would have been a lot more powerful and more cohesive with the origin of his story. And something about, I don't know, it just always sits weird with me, something about, like, a black man not being, you know, respected or cared for when he's human, and now when he's a monster, he just kills his own people. It just, it doesn't make sense to me, and that's one of the biggest issues I have with this movie. And again, I say this movie is 10 out of 10, I love this movie, but the fact, I mean, maybe this was just because it was directed by a white man, maybe because the writer was a white man, there isn't that sort of connection that's happening there. But to me, that's the uh, one downfall I feel like this movie has. I totally see your argument, and I'm not going to disagree with it. My one thing is, I'm thinking about it, and I was like, if in the 90s they made a movie where there's a black man who just kills white people, I think that that would have a social impact that we wouldn't want to see. I mean, it's already a black man killing people. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still a yes. villain. It's still putting yes. a black man in the character archetype of being a villain against a white woman. And yeah. that's the same concept regardless of whether he's killing black people or white people. And I mean, even that as an argument, like, to the fact that he kills black people as a villain is okay. And the fact that he would kill white people no. would be like a big upset. I think even that, you know, putting it out there would still... I mean, it's the same thing, but it's still sort of like... It loses its sort of integrity, in my opinion, to what his character could have been. And again, I'm not saying that's a takeaway from the movie. It's just something I personally have always kind of disliked about the movie. Um, it, it's kind of hard seeing, like, obviously, you know, Chicago and the projects themselves in Chicago exist in this way. I'm not yeah. saying that, you know, showing black people being poor is necessarily, you know, throwing the project and showing black people being poor is something that's negatively bad but it's it, it it's a weird sort of conception of all we see in this movie are black people being poor and the projects being killed by another black man who is coming after a white woman because he's in love with her like do you see when i put it like that where it sounds a bit just like weird to say yes so, i agreed with you yeah so with that it's just... just the only kind of thing i have a big issue with but you know, that's just me being nitpicky. It probably isn't that deep if, you know, you're you're watching this from a different perspective or you just want to have the vibe. This movie definitely is, is a great movie. I just want to hear more about this, I suppose, from actual black people and what they think about this movie. Yeah. I know this is a staple in the black community. I know it's one of those movies that a lot of people, like, love and know. And obviously, again, it's titulated for its incredible performances and having a mostly black cast, which I think is incredible, and I think it's one of the greatest things this movie has to offer besides, you know, the horror elements and the gore elements. The origin itself, connecting slavery and contemporary urban crime-slash-poverty issues, I think was intelligent and wonderfully done. I think this movie is very artistic in the way that it presents its sort of commentary that it's putting forward. I think the acting is incredible. I think 
using the real bees, although risky for the actors, was an incredible inclusion into the movie. I think as a plot, it is pretty slow in the beginning, but it's supposed to build this kind of vagueness as to whether Candyman is real or not. And I think it leads up to most of the action in the second half, which I don't think is necessarily bad. I'm just saying if you're watching this and you find the beginning kind of boring, just kind of stick with it and I promise it gets really good. Um, this movie is, for what I've talked about, is a really great favorite of mine. And it is a movie that I do recommend to a lot of people because I think it is really well done, really artistic, really incredibly acted in. And it is it is a movie that I would consider one of my at least top 10 to top 15 favorite movies. I'm giving, again, uh, Mr. Tony a little bit more uh, Tony Todd respect. Um, he's very hot in this movie. His voice is incredible. Um, incredible presence, incredible acting, and I think this movie does a really good job, and I would give this movie probably like a 9.5 out of 10 if I had to rate it on a scale. It's great, but I still have a little bit of lingeringness about it, but it is a great movie, and I recommend it to everyone. It's one of those movies that I could watch over and over again, and I would love. And that's where my <laughs> little spiel and review of final thoughts about this movie comes to an end. I, I think this movie stands out because it's got, it's well-paced, it has strong artistic values um i think it gives commentary in a way that's really appealing and is very organic with the story mm -hmm. where you can it's not like you really have to think about it or it needs to sit down and tell you you leave this movie understanding the commentary it's giving while also enjoying a slasher at the end of the day mm -hmm. and i think that that i think that's from an era where slashers had literally nothing going for them artistically, just by just besides how creatively you could cut up a teenager, which like before Scream came out four years later and really revolutionized uh, like the concept of a smart slasher. I think it was ahead of its time in that in that context, mm -hmm. and I think um, I think the performances are great. And, uh, it's it's hard to complain about anything about Candyman. Yeah. Um, on on surface level, you know, uh, it's a good time and it's a uh, great vibe. It's yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't cut anything besides the the little kid getting his dick cut off. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the only part I would remove from this movie because yeah. it's very unnecessary. But um, that's a three second scene. So when I cut three seconds out of an hour forty, I, I guess I can't complain about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, AJ, any any last things before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I just, I really enjoyed this movie. I think I explained that uh, earlier. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just really great. All right. Um, next week, we're hoping to do the 2021 remake, Yay! reboot. I, I, I've almost intentionally avoided any trailer or knowing anything about it because I know I'm going to see it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you don't got to convince me any, I'll just go see it. Um. So I don't know if they're connected in any way or if it'll reveal later if they're somewhat connected. I just know that they're doing another Candyman and I think uh, the time's right for it. And I think horror right now in 2021 or like in general for the past couple of years, horror's in a spot where it can, where art artistic horror really thrives and political horror, again, I'm using the term political, but it is now, you know, it's un it's unfortunate, but it's true. Uh, protecting yourself from a global illness is a political issue now, so everything <laughs> really is. Uh, it's fucking sad. But, um, you know, it, with Jordan Peele's, with Get Out and Us, I really think the t it's never been a better time for a Candyman, and I'm really excited to check it out next week. Agreed. Me and too. We'll be in person. In person. Interesting. Can't yeah. wait. 
Well, um, uh, in hindsight, fuck all that. Let's not watch Candyman. We're gonna see Monster House next week. Oh, I Monster House. I fucking love Monster House. The uh, the goth babysitter in Monster House changed me forever. Oh, and that's not that. shocking. Yeah. Facts though. Um, let's be what about the girl in Danny Phantom? Yes. That that's also a major yes. factor, and the hex girls from Scooby Doo yes. are also a big factor. Um, yeah. So it's formative. But uh, until we watch that, uh, I've been Aaron. I've been AJ. I'm Kim. And uh, I love you, I guess. Fuck you. Whatever.